We've just been in this series on Love You Way, which is just going all over this topic of love for the last, I think, five or six weeks or something like that. We've looked at a Paul's version of it, how in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, he says, there's a way of life that's living that's best of all. And he's talking about a way of love. And then we talk about how he talks about what is love. It's patience and kindness. So then we got into Jesus' verses on it. And he's talking about love and he's talking about how it's reaching out to your neighbor. And who is my neighbor? And how do we love like that? And how do we show God's love? And today we're wrapping up with Mark chapter 12, verse 28. So if you have your Bible with you or your digital Bible or if you just want to sit, and look at the screen with us. It'll be there for you. So if you turn to Mark chapter 12, verse 28, we're going to read some scripture. So it says, One of the teachers of the religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realized that Jesus had answered well, so he asked, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, The most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only God. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. The teacher of the religious law replied, well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other. I know it is important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding, all my strength, and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all of the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. Verse 34. Realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. The last couple of weeks, we've been looking at this same passage of Scripture, but we've looked at it in Matthew 22. And last week, we looked at it in Luke 10. And this week, we're looking at the version from Mark. And it all has a different nuance or a different function or a different emphasis or bringing out a different highlighting something within these. But there's a common thread through it all. And Jesus is using the same piece of Scripture over and over and over again. Listen, O Israel. Love the Lord your God with everything you have. And so what we're going to actually pour into today is that scripture. Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5, which says, listen to Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You must love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And he says this again and again and again in each version. And so Jesus is actually not just pulling out random passages of scripture here. This is a well known piece of scripture, a portion of scripture to the Jewish and Hebrew people. This scripture actually begins a section of scripture called the Shema prayer. And so there's three passages of scripture. This is one and there's one in Numbers and there's one other that they add and they would take these sections of scripture and they combine them together to be something that's known very commonly as the Shema prayer. I do not know if I'm saying that well. But as I was getting into this, I went to my resident Hebrew rabbi expert in-house, which is Mr. Grice. And so I texted Mr. Grice and said, do you know about the Shema? Do you know about it? He said, do I know it? I pray it three times a day. It's in our prayer book. And as I got into this a little bit more, this prayer was a pledge, an anthem, a a hymn that the Jewish people would say twice a day, morning and night, in their prayers. Daily, they would repeat the Shema. 
And so when Jesus is coming and answering this question of what's the greatest commandment, or who's my neighbor, or how do I love well, he's using well-known scripture to all of the people. And he's simply bringing up what they say over and over and over again, and he's bringing it back to their attention. And so today, I'm excited to kind of go into a little bit deeper in understanding this a little bit more. You know, early on in my relationship with Amy, before we even started dating, when I was just, when we were just friends and just starting to get to know each other and stuff, uh, to me, in my young college days, I thought the greatest commentary, not commentary, comedy ever written was Monty Python, the Holy Grail. And so when I found out that my wife and my best friend, my roommate, had never seen it, you can imagine my horror. <laughs> and so, you know, college students, our time frame was just completely wrecked. I think it was like 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon or something like that. Like, we got done with our classes. Like, we are sitting down to watch this movie. It's, and in my mind, I'm just imagining how much we're going to laugh and how much time, good time we're going to have and stuff. And I quickly realized that there is a big difference between being a 15-year-old watching the Monty Python at 3 o'clock in the morning with all of your friends who you've just ate a ton of junk food and you're just already slap happy and being something close to your 20s and sitting with your friends in the middle of the day watching Monty Python. It just doesn't feel quite the same. And so there's this idea is that their context kind of matters. Context kind of matters. And the group of people you surround yourself with and the understanding kind of matters. And so we read this passage and the general idea comes through. But the words and the meaning that are used was slightly different enough that it will affect our understanding of the passage here. So we're going to spend a little bit of our morning going into Deuteronomy and understanding what did they mean. What were the words that were broken down here and understanding this a little bit better too what it would have meant to the original audience. Before we get going, let's just kind of pause. I need to take a deep breath. I don't know why, but I'm already out of, I'm already kind of puffing up here today. So let's pray and just invite Holy Spirit in as he guides our time today. Father God, what an honor it is, God, to show up on a Sunday morning and to worship with this family and this body. Holy Spirit, we just invite your presence into our midst. God, I pray, thank you, God, that you are already guiding our thoughts, already guiding the service. Thank you, God, for where it's going to go today and where we go afterwards. In Jesus' name, amen. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart. I want to look at this very first word of heart that Jesus brings in and the ancient text brings in. And so when you see this word heart in the Hebrew, it's lev. Can you say lev? Lev. And so when they say heart, we say, we say heart. We kind of think the place in our body, the organ that pumps all the blood, the life place. We think of a feelings or affection. We think it's the place of where we just kind of incorporate all of our emotions in life. But for a, Jew, a Hebrew, they had no word for brain. They had no word for mind. And so it was always implied that when you saw the word lev, their understanding of what heart was was a broader understanding, a broader uh, incorporation of what it was. And so it was the innermost part of you that dealt with life. 
So it was the place that you would feel things, but it was also the place that out of those feelings you would make decisions. And some commentators call it the seat or the throne of decisions. It was the place where you would feel or know and understand or process life. Everything that was inside of you was the lev or the heart. And out of that inside, it would lead into your physical life. It wasn't just this part of you in, uh, that would pump blood through your body. It was your entire inner person. And so when we see this first idea of love with our, loving with our heart, we see we're loving God with our entire inner being, our entire will and affection. And out of that comes all of our experiences in life. Jesus shows in Matthew, right, that not only, not just your physical actions matter, it begins in your heart. You don't just have to go sleep with a woman to commit adultery. That can start in your heart. You don't have to just go and murder somebody. That begins with hatred in your heart. And so what's in your heart, it's almost like that rudder inside of your body that directs the whole body, where it's going to go. It is the decision maker. It is the way that you process and incorporate and interact with the physical in life. It's your entire inner being, not just your affections. It's all of your failures. It's all of your future. It's all of the way that you're going to move through life. And so Jesus in the Bible and Moses is saying that you love God with your entire inner being, all of your love, not just with your brain, your will, but everything inside of you of how you come to life. So here we see that we devote to God our entire, our feelings, our desires, our decisions, our failures, our futures, every way that we interact with life, we give it to God. We devote our entire inner life to God. So we love God with our heart. Love and we love God with our soul, nephesh. Can you please say nephesh? And so the nephesh is translated as soul, but this is one of the places that we have a hard time probably understanding it. Our understanding of soul, we believe it's this invisible, separated part of ourselves that's trapped inside of our bodies. That upon death, our souls release, the lids taken off of the cookie jar, and out comes our soul. And that's kind of our understanding of soul. It's how our Midwestern understanding is how we've broken up and understand the body as mind, heart, and soul. But in a Jewish and Hebrew time, nephesh, which we translate as soul, was often translated as throat. It was the place where your inner, your life breath would come in and out. It was not only translated as throat. It was translated as me. And so you would see nephesh was translated as me because the entire body was not, you didn't have a soul, you are a soul. Genesis, sorry, let me find it. Genesis chapter 2. God forms man out of dust and breathes life into him and man becomes a living nephesh or a living soul. Yet other places in the Bible, I think it's in Genesis 9, it talks about how there's dead nephishes or dead souls. And so your body, your soul, is your entire physical being. It's what you do with your hands. It's interactions with your life. It's the way that you carry yourself to day to day in your conversation. It's the way you use your words. It's everything on the outside, everything that you can touch and feel. It's the way that you incorporate your life in the physical. And so you have love, which is the heart, your entire inner part of you. Then you have the nephesh or soul or the entire outside of you. 
And so we don't love God just with our affections and just with our will, just with our desire, just with our mind. But we also love God with our entire physical being. We bring our entire physical being into devotion before God. We bring our entire outside of us before God. Kind of goes back to last week where Jesus was saying, you've got the right idea, but now go do it. Last week we talked about how you can get stuck. It's so easy to get stuck or bogged down just in knowing, attaining knowledge of learning about Jesus, but never getting past the heart and getting into the physical. And so the Bible's talking about here is that you don't just experience God in your heart, don't just experience God in your innermost being, you experience God in the physical as well. First James talks about how if we say we love God, but then we treat our brother and sister in hatred, it shows that we don't actually love God. Because what's on the inside expresses itself on the outside. It's one of the best or quickest ways to get an evaluation of what's happening under the surface. Honestly, this week I had to go to my wife and say, I'm sorry. My heart is showing right now. My body, my, my actions right now are showing that I, there's a disconnect right now between my heart and my physical. The way I'm speaking, the way I'm acting right now, the way I'm going quick to anger, there's some kind of disconnect right now that something inside of me is a little bit disconnected and I need to reconnect to God. So we line up our inside with our outside. So the nephesh becomes everything on the outside. Now just go do it, right? Don't just know it. So we love God with our entire inner self, our will, affections, thoughts, and desires, and our entire physical self, how we talk, how we work, how we conduct ourselves, what we build or do with our hands. So we love God with all of our heart, love all of our soul, nephesh, and all of our strength. Can you please say miod? Miod. Miod, this is my favorite one out of all three. Because miod is not actually a word that we really translate. It's translated as strength. It's used tons in the Bible. It's used 300 plus times in the Bible. But this is one of the only places in the Bible that miod is translated as strength. We hear strength, and I don't know about you, but my mind goes to like your will. Like, I start thinking about, I will try really hard to love God. Like, I, I don't think about, like, I'm going to be able to lift 300 pounds. That's how I show love to God. No, it's like an inner, like, my strength, like, how my devotion, like, I'm going to try just really hard. But that's not how the Jewish would have understood this text. Because miod was a word that they would pair with other words to supercharge them. Or to make them just come alive. Or to emphasize them. It was an adverb. And so you get words like um, Genesis chapter 1, 31. Six days of creation that were good, then you have the comatic seventh day, which is miod good. So it's not just good, it's very good. And then you get to Genesis seven eighteen, where the waves are washing over the ark and the, the, the waves become powerful, they become miod powerful. So extremely powerful. Or you get to Genesis 4, 5, and you have Cain, who's not just fuming in anger at his brother, but he is miod angry. Angry enough to kill his relative. And so you get this idea that miod is used to supercharge or to emphasize words, to vary or too much. And so in the context of all this, we come to God and we love him with our miodness, 
or our muchness or our allness. And so it's not an idea of our inner will and inner strength, but everything we have, our inner and our physical, we love it as best we can. We love it. We get, woo, woo, getting too excited. We leverage that to God. Oh, no. Sydney got in my head. We started talking about all the, way, the things I don't mean to say today. I once said finger chips instead of fingertips from the stage. It's just up there now. So miot, it supercharges and intensifies words. And we think, and so when we get to the Greek, though, when they translated the Hebrew to the Greek, they took that miot, they saw strength, and they translated it to dynamos, which is power. And so then you see that Jesus says we love God with all of our mind and all of our power, all of our strength. And so it's emphasized. And if you look in the Arabic, they translate it to wealth. And so the beauty of miyod is that it doesn't have one definition. It has multiple or many or endless definitions. Do we love God with our wealth? Do we love God with our power? Do we love God with our uh, mind? Do we love God? Yes. We love God with everything we have, our allness or our muchness, if that is a word that we can use today. And it kind of doesn't make sense, but then we actually really get it. It makes a lot of sense is that we don't just love God, we meod love God. We love him with everything we have. And it makes 1 Corinthians 10.31 come to my mind. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And so when we love God, it's this idea of that we love him with our inner being. We love him with our outer physical life. And then we miod love him with all of our strength, everything we have. Because miod's not limited. It intensifies or emphasizes the words that came before it. And so we don't just love God. We love God so much. We don't just love him with, the, with what, we, what affection we have left over on the inside. We love him with all of it. We don't just love him with the desire we have on the inside after it's been satiated and filled in the other ways we can. We love him first with our desire. I don't love him just first with how I interact. I don't give him just my second sloppy seconds. I give him my best, my first, my all, my effort. I'm yod, love God. Hopefully this is coming and making sense to you. When I think of this wholehearted devotion or loving one's entire self, this just incorporating your entire everything you have into a single moment or single action. The memory that comes to my mind for me is July 2020, July 4th. And so we're still in lockdown that time and not a lot of things are happening. But me personally, my family, it was one of those days where everything just aligned and worked out well. We, were not, we only had two kids at that time. Amy was pregnant with our third I think Noble, Nora was three, Noble was two or one, one and a half, something like that. And so the morning started with little kids. Amy was still pregnant, pretty uncomfortable this stage. But the morning started out with just our favorite donuts. Like, what else are we going to do on a celebration? So we went down to Elson's and got a box of donuts. And then even before that, it started with me smoking a pork butt. And so I was prepping the pork butt and getting it all ready, getting the charcoals hot and getting it on there. And then during quarantine, we had set up this little pool. Like, I say pool, like me and the kids can kind of float, 
but if me and you got into it, it'd be like us taking a bath. Like, it's just not, it's like, when you say pool, think of like shallow body of water. I don't know how to, but anyways, it was big enough to float, and so me and the kids, we just kind of floated and just kind of hung out in the morning, and then we took this middle, just this noon fiesta, and Amy made these amazing like this white cheddar Greek tacos. I, it sounds weird, but I can't explain it, but they're just so, so good. And I went to the store and I got our kids, we don't do a lot of uh, sugar and stuff, so I got them those bottle rockets, popsicles, like the red and the white and the blue ones, you know what I'm talking about? They look like, uh, is it a star or a rocket? Yeah, something, whale, did somebody say whale? I don't know, but you know what I'm talking about. And so they ate those and that's dripping and they have the stains and stuff. And then we ended the day with smoked pork and a bonfire in our driveway, and we were roasting marshmallows, and it was full of dance parties, and the weather was perfect, and we had those little snappy things you throw at the ground, and they snap, and the little wands you light on fire, because Illinois is lame, and that's all you can do here. Like, that's all we can buy. And so it was just an incredible day where our cell phones were off, and the job was done, and the full day was, and the weather was great, and we just, when I think of full body, full person, devotion, I love, that day comes to my mind. It's the day we're able to just give and receive love and be with my family, and it's important enough that a couple years later, it still lives there as just one of those just incredible family days. Now, after telling you all of that, maybe your own day is coming to mind. Maybe a time where you're just fully happy, fully devoted, fully just in good standing in relationships with others is coming to your mind. But you probably don't need me to tell you that the morning keep coming. And how would it be on July 5th of 2020, I woke up and I drugged my kids by their hair and I yelled at them and yelled obscenities at my wife and slammed the door on my way to work. Love doesn't just come in once a year. You get opportunity time and time and time again. And so July 4th was followed by July 5th and July 6th and all the way till now where I've had so many days and opportunities that one day isn't enough to carry me through. I don't want to see my kids just one day a year. I don't want just to think about how we had Christmas Day last year and that was a good day, but July, June, and October were really bad months, relationally. I want to live my life where the anger and the frustration is not a normal, but where I can have that kind of July 4th whole body love all the time, or pursuing it, trying to make sure that I put the distractions aside and intentionally relationship with my family. The Israelites knew this. They knew how fickle, how forgetful the heart is. And so they established. That's why the Bible doesn't say pray Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5, two times a day. The Jews created that to the shame of prayer. They made that, they instituted into their lives because they knew how easy it is for the heart to get distracted and to wander. Jeremiah, Jeremiah calls it deceitful and wicked. Isaiah says it wanders like a sheep. Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Zechariah, Hebrew, all remind us how easily and quickly the heart becomes calloused like a stone and hardened against God and his word. The Jewish people knew how important it was to continually, internally keep aligned with God. And so they used this portion of scripture as their guiding prayer, their guiding star, the one that they continually brought before them to say, remember Israel, 
You have one God. Love him with everything on the inside, everything on the outside, and everything you have. Your allness, your muchness, everything you have. Always devote it towards God. Morning they would wake up with that, and night before they would go to bed, they would pray this. Because they knew how easy it is to wander with your affection from God. Proverbs 4, 20 through 27. It says, my child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them, healing to their whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Avoid all perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Make a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. This is why we have the Shema prayer. Listen, Israel. The Lord our God is the Lord alone. The reason that it is called the Shema is because the very first word in Deuteronomy 6.4, listen, is the Hebrew word for Shema. The Hebrews did not have a word for obey. Every time that the Shema comes up, the implication is that you are doing what you are hearing. And so if you're walking down the street and you hear somebody go, help, you shema them. You heard them. And if you're walking down the street and they said, help, please come and help me, and you go over and you help them, you've done the shema. But if you're walking down the street and you say, help, please come and help, and you just keep walking, you did not shema. Because the implication, the idea is that when you hear, you obey. And so they're saying, listen, O Israel, and do what I'm saying. Don't just sit there and receive it and let it go in and out the other ear. I'm not good. Gary Grimonfries could tell you way better than I could or Randy right now. But I know that science people tell me that there's just tons of radio waves flowing through us, right? Like any given moment, right? Anybody understand this kind of science, this magic? Yeah, a couple of you. One guy in the back. Okay, so I'm in good company. So any given moment, you have radio waves just going through your body through this time all the time. But it does nothing for us unless you actually take an antenna, take a radio, and actually tune in the station. And then you begin to receive. It comes out. It comes in and comes out. But if you just sit here and do nothing, never tune in, never dial in, never align yourself to God's word, if you just let it sit and pass through you, it does nothing for your life. And so you're not called to just listen. You're not called to just receive these words, but you're called to shema, listen and obey. It's that we must remember that we have one God. We are called to fully devote ourselves in all, in all of our allness or our muchness to this one God. In the previous context of what Moses was talking about, he's speaking to the Israelite people and reminding them that you have one God. Because culturally they lived in a time of not one God, but every God you could think of. You need rain, go to the rain God. You need a baby, go to the fertility God. You need tacos, go to the taco God. Like I don't, There's so many gods. And so you're just supposed to go around and pursue whatever one. Or you're supposed to worship them all so you don't accidentally create the wrath towards you. And God created an opportunity for his people to remind them again and again and again. That's the whole point of them going to the wilderness. 
was to create a dependency on God. They lived in a land full of idolatry. Egypt was the place where they had, I don't even know how many gods. At one point in time I knew, it was just hundreds of gods. Fish-headed gods, cat-headed gods, dog gods, just all these kinds of gods. And so God led his people into a land to say, into the wilderness on a journey to remind them there's only one. And it's me. I am your God. So listen, Israel. The Lord our God is the Lord alone. You know, but I would argue that we Americans, capital C Church, that we need the message, this message, we need the Shema just as much as the Hebrew people did. I cannot speak for you, but I can speak for myself. I know how easy it is for my heart to wander off to look other places than God. I know how quickly I can have an incredible moment here at the altar, an incredible moment in worship. I can hear a word that just changes my life. But then the next day, I can just completely be derailed. Back into focusing on what's right in front of me. Back into focusing on something that I want. Back into thinking that there's something else that I need more than God. And so the call of the Shema was to remind them again and again and again. Day and night there is one thing you need in your life and it's God. There's one thing you need in your life and it's God. So quickly our hearts just wander off. It's so easy to focus on things that make me feel safe make me feel sufficient, make me feel su fulfilled than God. It's all a lie anyways. It's just me creating a fabrication. It's me deciding to not trust God. It's me saying it's easier to trust in the physical right now than it is to trust in the supernatural and the spiritual. It's easier for me to try to manipulate this with my own hands. It's easier for me to try to control the situation than it is to try to control God. I can't control God. But I can try. I can control my life. I can use my hands to work really hard. I can use my money to go buy something. Or I can use my eyes to go wander off. And I can try to feel fulfilled by thinking this is going to make me happy. Having a really hard day, this will fulfill me. I feel really worthless because everything I've been working on is coming. just doesn't feel like enough. Well, I can go work harder. I don't need to receive my worth from God. I don't need to feel my sustenance from God. I can go earn it on my own. Let my heart wander. And really, it all comes down to a lack of knowing God. You know, the last couple of weeks we've been studying love, what it seems to me and appears to me is it always comes back to this place of just knowing God more and more and more. That as you spend time with God, more of his character is revealed. As you spend time in the physical with people around you, love is understanding them. Love is starting to know them. Love is starting to see their flaws and see the uh, fence and then loving past that. How many people have ever had a friend that's been that friend since high school or middle school? And you grew up together. You made mistakes together. You really at times just wanted to, and maybe you did, just punch each other. But you know that's the person that will stick with you the first person you're going to call. It's the person that you've been time and true and that they have remained steadfast in your life. You don't call the person you just met at a coffee shop. You don't call the new co-worker that you just connected over Star Wars with. or You don't call the, the person that's just an acquaintance. You call the person that's tried and true in your life. Because you know them. 
because you spent time with them, because your knowledge of them has proven that they care for you and they love you. And the same goes to an even greater extent with God. Hosea, he, he identifies this. He says, Hosea 4, 6 through 7, he says, My people are being destroyed because they don't know me. This is God. He says, My people are being destroyed because they don't know me. Since you priests refuse to know me, I refuse to recognize you as my priest. Since you've forgotten the laws of God, I will forget to bless your children. The more priests there are, the more they sin against me. They have exchanged the glory of God for the shame of idols. Or I read that they've exchanged the mystery of knowing God for something I can know right here, right now. It's so much easier to try to bring God into the physical. It's so much easier to try to cope with anger and frustration and despair and loss with something right here, right now that I can touch. I don't know about you, but maybe there's some people like you is that when I get angry, my default mode is I need to go fix something or do something. And so if me and Amy have a fight, we're really frustrated with each other. Before we get to the conflict part, my uh, default mode is to go, well, I'm just going to go clean and I'm going to go start doing this or I'm going to start on this project or we're going to start painting this wall or something because it's so much easier to push all that emotion into the physical than it is to throw it and align it with God. Hosea 6.6, he says, I want to show you love. I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. And so Hosea, again, he emphasizes the idea is that God doesn't want something from you. He didn't create you and didn't become your God just for what you could do for him. The Israelites, they lived in this, this sacrifice culture of Go and create a sacrifice and become clean. You messed up, then go sacrifice and become clean. You've done something wrong, go make a sacrifice and become clean. And so God, it means so much right now that he's saying, I don't want more sacrifices. I want you to know me. I want you to love me. I want to have relationship with you. I do care about you going and doing things. But I care way more first about attaining your attention, your heart, relationship with me, than what you're going to do. You're going to do great things. I've destined and planned great things for you. I'm reading through the Old Testament right now. I'm just coming upon, today I just stumbled across Moses. And just think, Moses was the greatest political war figure we have in the Bible. And it started with him, God, I don't want to do that. Send my brother. I kind of, kind of, I kind of stuttered when I talked. I don't, don't want to go. No, 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 no. Do you know who I am? God had great things for him, but first he wanted Moses's attention, Moses's heart. In the last couple of weeks, Amy and I, with the good weather and just uh, seeing junk everywhere, really is what it is, is that we've been working to declutter our house. And so we're planning to have a big garage sale or Goodwill or whatever. We're just going through every room, every box, every nook and cranny to just declutter the house. And so we went through the kids' playroom the other week, like two weeks ago. And can I tell you that their playroom is full of toys still. But we pulled out nine, eight, eight. We pulled out eight grocery bags, six, six, eight, something like that. We pulled out eight. It sounds better. We pulled out eight 
garbage bags full of toys. And as we're going through this, it's like, where did this junk come from? Where did these toys come from? Because their room is still full of toys. How did we even fit this in here before? Where did this stuff come from? And we know because we love to clearance shop and we love to garage sale. And the kids, we have three kids and they have three birthdays. And then we have Christmases with Grandma and then Boucher's side and then our Christmas. And then time and all these things just time again, time again. You get one toy at a time, one toy at a time, one toy at a time. And very quickly our house is just this clutter hole full of stuff, just stuff everywhere. And how quickly it happens. And the same thing goes for our heart. Which is why Psalms 139, 23, 24 says, Search me, O God, know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. It's so quickly, just in the day in and day out of life, for us to just start cluttering our hearts. To start building up idolatry. Start building up affection for something other than God. To start turning our emotions on something other than God. To start doing something with our physical body that's other than glorifying God. It's so easy. It sneaks in through a garage sale and a Christmas present. And that toy was on sale or grandma took him shopping or whatever. It comes in. And all of a sudden you have a huge problem. You didn't realize that little by little you've been making yourself callous towards God. You've been turning your attention away from God. You've been focusing on other things, anything else than God. And it's important to pray the Shema to remind you to keep your, your heart and your devotion on one God. It's important to pray prayers like Psalms 139. Search me, God. Know my heart and test me. Show me what I need to take out. Sid, you can start making your way up. This is The Inner Voice of Love by Henry Nauman. He's an incredible author. Um, he's written one or two books that really are books I'd set in the category of life-changing for me. And we came across this book when we were starting to study love and started reading through it. And I didn't know what it was. I just saw Henry Nauman and Love, so I ordered it. And so this book is not like any of his other books. This book is a time in his life where he felt rejected and out, unable to do ministry. And for a time of about eight months, he spent... Not ministering, but being ministered to. Daily counseling and working through his emotions, working through this rejection. But he was able to continually write, and he kept a journal. And so this book is a collection of journal entries that he wrote to himself in this time of healing. And I stumbled upon this one, and I think it's very prudent that we should read it today. He says, you, and he's talking to himself, you must believe in the yes that comes back when you ask, do you love me? You must choose this yes even when you do not experience it. You feel overwhelmed by distractions and fantasies, the disturbing desire to throw yourself into the world of pleasure, but you know already that you will not find there an answer to your deepest question. Nor does the answer lie in rehashing old events or in guilt or shame. All of that makes you dissipate yourself and leave the rock on which your house is built. You, must, you have to trust the place that is solid, the place where you can say yes to God's love even when you do not feel it. Right now you feel nothing except emptiness and the lack of strength to choose. But keep saying, God loves me. God's love is enough. 
you have to choose the solid place over and over again and return to it every time after every failure. I don't know about you, but it, that captured so well for me my life. So many times I ask the question of my wife or of God or of myself, do you love me? And I don't feel it. I don't feel worthy of it. I don't feel like I've earned it. I just failed as a father, as a husband, or as a pastor, or as a person. And so I say, no, you're not worth loving. And so I go to the indulgence. I go to the chocolate jar. Or I go and work with my hands, and I try to manipulate my life into being worthy of love. And Henry says it so well. You must choose to trust God. You must choose to trust the simple truth. Love God with everything you have because the only thing that will create safety in you is the only thing that will sustain you. It is the only thing, God, that will bring you fulfillment. But very similar to Eve, we think God's not true to his word. I'll manipulate the truth, and I'll, I'll see what's on the other side. I'll, I'll disobey. I'll go and take this apple or take this fruit and see what this good and bad is all about. I don't trust God. Last week, uh, we were having family dinner, and Noble was just having a hard day. Noble's three years old, and he's just kind of coming into his emotions and feeling things, and he does not express himself well. And so something major happened, like I think we served white cheese instead of yellow cheese, is what he calls it. And so obviously he just had a full breakdown, tantrum, crying, just like somebody just stabbed him or something. And so not understanding what happened at first, he, I, what, Noble, what's happening? He goes, ah, just runs away, just buries himself on the couch. And so in a good moment as a father, I go and I don't say anything. I just get in the couch and lay with him and hold him. And very quickly, he stops crying. Very quickly, he just starts talking to me. And so he just starts sharing about his day and sharing about his life. And I, I don't know, he just he, he was talking about dinosaurs or cheese or what mom did or didn't do or Nellie did this or whatever. It's just random stuff. But we got onto the subject of dinosaurs. And so I got up and I wanted to go to the computer and print off some pictures of dinosaurs. And so I got up and I walked away and he said, Dad, don't go. Just sit and talk to me. I think about that moment. I think that is exactly what God wants from us. I can make this relationship better. You don't understand. Let me go print out. Let me go do something. Let me go fix this. Let me go print this out and you'll see it and we can do this together. And it's going to be a fun father-son activity. But no, Dad, just sit with me and talk with me. He's a three-year-old. Just sit and talk with me. Or how many times my kids ask that and I'm just on my phone or working? How many times does God just want to sit with us? Just give me your love, give me your heart, give me your nephesh, give me your soul, give me your allness, just give me your attention. I just want to sit. I just want to know you. I just want you to know me. It's so, easy, it's so much easier to just get up and to walk away and to go about our day. The teacher of the religious law, he replied, he said, well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth by saying that there is only one God and no other. 
I know it's very important to love with all my heart and all my understanding, all my strength, and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all the burnt offerings and sacrifices required by the law. Realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Church, love is the door that opens up to the kingdom of God. When you walk through the door of love, the rest of God's kingdom is available to you. But it all starts with opening the door of love. The rest of God's goodness, the rest of God's kingdom, the rest of that is all behind that door. But it starts with your whole devotion given to God.